This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold and you are listening to Pain dot tv slash gold i hope everyone is doing a fantastic it is sunday evening monday morning here in gold pillar land ladies and gentlemen so uh it is sunday right sunday afternoon right now my time and this is the final day where my family's in town. They're all heading back to their respective homes tomorrow. So I just invited everyone over uh, for dinner tonight, even though we were trying not to host. But we've been hosting, even with uh, William here, uh, our new baby. It's been, uh, it's been challenging, but it's been fun. So I just made a Blue Hubbard squash soup, which I made on Thanksgiving. But I had more Blue Hubbard squash that I had roasted that came from sycamore spring farm from farmer carol that i've talked about i roasted it a couple of weeks ago and froze it and so it's really good folks really good it's got ginger cinnamon nutmeg maple syrup cayenne pepper a little bit of amish butter some cream a little bit of brown sugar some roasted carrots and then some caramelized onions and garlic it's sort of my own recipe and then i made up and then you puree it twice actually to get it nice and smooth folks it's delicious and so my mother had ordered a fresh turkey a 22 pound turkey for thanksgiving from a local turkey farm and she had bought an extra 11 pound turkey that she didn't cook so i just roasted that up today it's basted in butter and rosemary and thyme it should be delicious. So they're going to stop over here. So I'll see my dad, see my mom and stepdad again, my sister and uh, brother-in-law. So it'll be a good time, folks. But I said, I've got to get a show out. 
And so what I have been doing the last 24 hours, I've really been going down this rabbit hole of central bank digital currency. And I know other people talk about this topic. Wide Awake Jim will be back on to uh, work on the third installment of our series. Uh, If you want to check that out, it's episode 80. We get into the climate change hustle. In episode 88, we continue with that. Jim's going to come on shortly, talk about Bank for International Settlements, Uh, international monetary fund all of the carbon credit scams going on eventually we're going to work that into the rollout of cbdc well as you know i ended up stumbling upon peter thiel again in my research related to the eugenics movement coming out of harvard university and then finding it transforming rebranding uh reshaping as transhumanism and so i ran into peter thiel And then I decided to do a little more digging into Peter Thiel, which brought me back to central bank digital currency. And one of the questions my friends in my personal life ask me all the time is, hey, Dustin, you're following this kind of stuff. When is central bank digital currency going to take over for cash? What is going to happen to my 401k? What is going to happen to my IRA? What is going to happen to my investments in, say, my day trading stock account? What's going to happen to the cash in my savings account and my checking account what's going to happen to uh, mutual bonds what's going to happen to all of these types of investments people have tied to cash one way or another and so my answer is i don't really know i don't you know jim wide awake jim does a lot of research on this he follows Catherine austin fitz who has been on the thomas Paine podcast with mike moore he follows john titus i just started watching titus's stuff uh because jim recommended it and so it goes deep obviously i haven't watched all of it i really don't like to watch other broadcasters uh because then i believe it's going to taint my material and i don't want to get stuck uh repeating what other people have already done i want to do my own research and if some of the things i stumble into are stuff other people talked about that's fine i'm going to look at it through a new lens through my worldview through my perspective so that's what i'm trying to do although titus has done a lot of work on this and jim has watched his stuff pretty much inside and out so jim will be on to talk about this soon i'm taking the standpoint here uh the direction here of looking at it through the lens of where i opened my eyes to this with peter thiel being involved with backing the early stages of ethereum and i mentioned this on yesterday's show folks so let me just pull this back up again to remind you it was in the close of episode 96 and this was an article at cointelegraph.com but you can find this everywhere this is open source intelligence and this was ethereum founder awarded a hundred thousand dollar thiel fellowship okay and this was vitalak buterin that's v-i-t-a-l-i-k buterin b-u-t-e-r-i-n and in 2014 peter thiel through his thiel foundation and then under the foundation he has the thiel fellowship this is where he pays kids to drop out of college he gives them a hundred thousand dollars to come basically work in the thiel incubator for a two-year period where they work on projects and then in some cases i've found obviously i've not researched all of them and there's dozens upon dozens thiel will come in he gets first round investment money tied up in their companies 
and basically ends up running them. So this guy, Vitalak Buterin, was working on Ethereum. Okay, so Ethereum, just think of Ethereum as big as Bitcoin, okay? And so Ethereum is this uh, cryptocurrency, and there's a whole entire system built around it, and it's used in a lot of the metaverse Second Life communities as well. They're all run on this Ethereum blockchain. I don't want to go too techy with all of this stuff, one, because it's not my direct area of expertise and two it just gets to be too much it's like if i wanted to talk to you about a car engine and i start getting all nerd mechanic on you and getting down to all the little pieces inside of the engine you're just going to get lost and not understand it so we're going to do a broad brush here but there's a couple of characters that i am tracking a couple of technologies i'm tracking and i want to talk to you about that stuff because i I don't think anyone has really touched on it yet. So again, I'm coming at this from a different point of view, right? I'm not a financial expert. I'm not an economist. I am someone who likes to research what the technocracy is doing, what transhumanism is doing. And I like to look at companies. I'm really interested in seeing who is funding companies, who's behind companies, where the money is coming from. That's the type of investigative work I like to do. And so Jim, for instance, he is re- Reading through all the Bank for International Settlement documents. He has a huge one on central bank digital currency. And he did a quick search and he didn't find Ethereum as a keyword in that paper. That's okay. I'm researching this from the angle of the companies, the so-called private companies that are actually building out what will become the possible infrastructure for CBDC because it's quite complicated. And they're going to have to interlink all of these different countries all of these different systems and so there's a lot of companies right now competing to see who is going to be the leader this just happens to be one i find to be quite interesting and so eventually my hope is that with the research that jim does and maybe eventually i could get john titus on or Catherine austin fitz then i can take my research jim's research and their research and we could start to figure out when cbdc is coming okay so as jim pointed out to me today there's really two legal means of currency right now as far as the government's concerned, and that's paper money and coins, okay? Paper money and coins. They claim they need a law passed, or Jerome Powell claims they need a law passed to make digital currency the third form of currency, and then their ultimate goal would be to erase the paper money and the coins and only have the digital currency. Now, myself personally... I don't really believe in um, the rule of law anymore. I am 100% convinced that we live in, I I would say by old definitions, it would be called a quasi-technocracy where you still have some form of a representative government or a parliamentary system with an underlying technocracy ruled by the scientists, engineers, and technologists. But in my personal opinion, right now, I see it as a technocracy uh, with the illusion of a representative government here in the United States. Around the world, it would be the illusion of a parliamentary system, an illusion of a dictator, but I believe we are in a technocracy. I believe that is our culture. And I was talking to Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast today on the phone, and I told her, it's not the Yuval Noah Hararis. It's not even the Dennis Bushnells. It's not the Peter Thiels and the Elon Musk, really, that scare me. 
It's the people like my stepfather, okay, who's an engineer and does government contracting. It's uh, his business partner who does the same thing and has been doing it for 40 years because those guys are, if you talk to them, if you have an in-depth conversation with them over a few beers, over dinner or whatever, you will find out that they are technocrats. Okay, that's embedded inside them. Uh, One of them, at least, is a transhumanist. He agrees with those principles, yet they don't even know what the term transhumanism or technocracy is so that's the scary part they are part of the science and engineering community that is helping build this digital slave plantation that is helping the fourth industrial revolution move forward with the merger of the physical biological and digital yet they don't even realize that's what they're doing all right, so they're pretty scary. But then take it down to the stay-at-home mom, right, who goes out to the grocery store with her two-year-old kid in the grocery cart. And the kid starts to whine a little, and you see her hand the kid an iPad to shut it up. She is part of the culture of technocracy and obviously knows nothing about it. Neither do the two engineers I just mentioned. And those guys are actually helping build it. But so is the woman. Because as Elon Musk says, we are nodes in the system and all of our interaction with all the various technology is helping them build this ai prison this ai hive mind so as you can see it is our culture now ladies and gentlemen so that's all set out there this is my belief my worldview we are in the technocracy it is our culture but the question is what happens to those of us who are awake how do we start to move our current investments around in a way that we can insulate them from what is coming and when is it actually coming when is cbdc central bank digital currency coming when are they going to force you to you know turn over your 401k in exchange for carbon credit based cbdc when are they going to take your ira when are they going to say hey that cash you have uh, hidden under your mattress you need to turn that in that we don't really know that's what we're working on that's part of why i'm interested in investigating this for myself my wife friends and family who are asking well when is this coming and i've heard people say so jerome powell he says five to ten years before the u.s can do it right because we need these laws i don't believe they really need the laws i think they can do whatever the hell they want i don't think we live in a constitutional republic i believe it's an illusion as i said our culture is technocracy i think they could shove this stuff through under emergency powers they could just make anything up they want at this point we've seen them do this time and time again so i'll talk to wide awake jim about that now i also see test pilot programs being launched all around the world there's over a hundred countries in uh some form of development now into cbdc we'll look at some of that tonight and so what i want to be able to do over the next few weeks is try to figure out at what point are they going to flip the switch and i don't think it's going to happen overnight folks i think it's a slow roll it's the frog boiling in the pot as they always do time is on their side and so they'll slow roll this jim thinks it's going to take him at least five ten years maybe a generation uh we just want to be prepared for it folks and figure out if there is a way around it now obviously we don't give uh, financial advice on this show nor would we but we can talk about certain scenarios and situations people are in and uh, we could talk about personally what we're doing our friends of ours are doing so this is the road i'm going to go down over the next couple of episodes before 
before I get back into, I'm going to finish up MK Ultra for you and transhumanism. But right now, I want to get this uh, laid out, and I want to get the research I've been doing done over the uh, that I've been doing over the last couple of days all done. So when the gym comes on, we could merge the stuff that I've been covering with the stuff that he's been researching, and start to try to figure out exactly what direction this is moving and when it's actually going to happen. But in my mind, at least the storyline that I'm following, I'm starting here with Vitalik Buterin. All right, again, founder of Ethereum, awarded $100,000 in 2014 by Peter Thiel. And in 2013, this guy Buterin was working on CB, um, sorry, on Ethereum. Theo gives him $100,000, and he continues his work into Ethereum. And one of his partners, who co-founded Ethereum with him, is this guy, Joseph Lubin, who is credited as the co-founder of Ethereum, and now he is the head of a company called Consensus, C-O-N-S-E-N. S-Y-S, consensus. And this is very, very important, ladies and gentlemen, because this company is going to play a major part in what we're talking about tonight. I'll be right back, folks. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. Folks, check us out, Pain.tv slash gold. Join us over there and get access to the ad-free video version of this podcast as well as the Thomas Paine podcast and access to a like-minded group of individuals using a Facebook-like mobile application and website that you can download and log on to. It's fantastic. It's a private community built by Mike Moore and his team. It's not built on top of Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, so your information is secure. And again, it's all like-minded folks there. It's not like going on Twitter and fighting. You're going to find people who want to have honest discussions about the topics we cover here and the topics that Mike covers on the Thomas Paine podcast. All also, folks, leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. It helps us move up the charts. I'd really appreciate it. It's the least you can do. Drop a comment there. We love them, and it really, really does help us. Also, if you'd like to donate to the show, it's donorbox.org, donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show, and you can leave a donation over there as we begin to monetize this show, folks. All right, let me just show you this real quick. Up on the screen, I have ethereum.org. Just for those of you who are not familiar with this is, it's E-T-H-E-R-E-U-M.org. It says, welcome to Ethereum. Ethereum is the community-run technology powering the crypto uh, currency Ether, E-T-H, and thousands of decentralized applications. So on this site, you can access a bunch of stuff connected to Ethereum. Let's just look at this. What is Ethereum? And this is just going to be a quick background for you so you're not lost when I'm discussing all the other technology that comes into play here. It says, what is Ethereum? Ethereum is a technology that's home to digital money, global payments, and applications. 
The community has built a blooming digital economy, bold new ways for creators to earn online, and so much more. It's open to everyone, wherever you are in the world. All you need is the internet. All right, so let's click on what is Ethereum, just so you guys have a quick understanding of this. Ethereum, uh, it says right here, the foundation for our digital future, a complete beginner's guide to how Ethereum works, the benefits it brings, and how it's being used by millions of people around the world. In the summary here, Ethereum is a technology for building apps and organizations, holding assets, transacting, and communicating without being controlled by a central authority there is no need to hand over all of your personal details to use ethereum you keep control of your own data and what is being shared ethereum has its own cryptocurrency ether which is used to pay for certain activities on the ethereum network still confused let's explain everything step by step and i think we should do this folks just so you and i are on the same page here so there's a picture of a little robot guy, and it says, what is cryptocurrency? Uh, we've talked about some of this on the show, but I have not gone into depth on it. I always believed that crypto was a scam from day one. Years ago, when my libertarian friends were pushing it on me, saying cryptocurrency was going to be the future, it was our way of beating the government, I said to myself, wait, it operates on the internet, and you have to download some sort of digital wallet. It is the government. Are you kidding me? Now, you may not believe that, but I think in the end, we will be proven right over here. There is not going to be a competing currency allowed to operate on the internet unless the government wants it to be there because they could just turn it off and block it as you can see the government can do whatever it wants no one is going to stop it all right if you don't believe me go listen to legal man show at the quash and he will explain all of that to you he's been on this show two or three times uh i think he's slated to come back on again in a couple of weeks all right it says what is cryptocurrency crypto short for cryptocurrency is a new form of digital money powered by cryptography it all started in 2008 with bitcoin you could use it to send funds to anyone, anywhere globally. What made crypto different from normal bank transfers or other financial services like PayPal or Alipay is that there were no middleman for the first time. What is a middleman? A middleman is a central authority, like a bank or government, that intervenes in a transaction between the sender and the recipient. They have the power to surveil, censor, or revert transactions, and they can share the sensitive data they collect about you with third parties. They also often dictate which financial services you have access to. Things are different with crypto. Transactions directly connect sender and recipient without having to deal with any central authority. Nobody else will have access to your funds, and nobody can tell you what services you can use. This is possible because of the blockchain technology upon which cryptocurrencies operate. Well, let me just explain this to you quickly, folks. That's nice in theory and all, but the whole idea is that the monetary system under central bank digital currency will be centralized under the central bank, and they will be able to block you from using services. They will be able to literally stop you from shopping in the grocery store today or buying sweet potatoes. They will be able to stop you from pumping gas at your car or loading it up with electricity at an electric pump. 
yes, they'll be able to stop everything. That is the entire point of CBDC. The other thing is for the layman, for the layman, if you've bought and sold or traded any kind of cryptocurrency or held cryptocurrency in the form of like stock sort of, um, you would have to down something download something like coinbase and many of you know if you do that you have to scan your driver's license give them your social security number and it tells you right there they're reporting everything to the internal revenue service the irs so that's that's for the layman now if you're some kind of computer hacker nerd geek maybe you can get around all this stuff i know there's a couple people that listen to the show that come from that world and i'd be happy to have them on i'm getting some great information from people at pain.tv slash gold but they don't want to come on so then it's going to involve me having to do hundreds of hours of research into the work they've already researched so if you guys want to come on the show please do so share all the information you have educate me give me more knowledge when i learn the audience learns that's the way it should be i don't want to just be the uh, purveyor of truth over here all right so that's what it tells you uh the purpose is now some believe that it all started with bitcoin by this japanese guy who was secret and nobody really knows who it is and then over time there's people that claim they are him they're not him this guy's him nobody really knows it's a fairy tale okay but the idea here is that if the government rolls out a cbdc we're talking central banks at the highest level roll out cbdc everything will be tracked and every transaction will have to clear the government the middlemen will be gone the commercial banks will be gone the people in between all of these people we don't like anyway but now you'll just be interacting between uh me and you but you'll have the central bank in the middle as the clearing house so everything is tracked all right it says what is a blockchain a blockchain is a database uh, of transactions that is updated and shared across many computers in a network every time a new set of transactions is added it's called a block hence the name blockchain most blockchains are public and you can only add data not remove if someone wanted to alter any of the information or cheat the system they need to do so on the majority of computers on the network that is a lot this makes established blockchains like ethereum highly secure why is it called cryptocurrency blockchains use cryptographic techniques to ensure that your funds are safe similar techniques have been used in the banking industries to ensure the security of monetary transactions for years so you could say cryptocurrencies have a bank level of security well folks my wife had over ten thousand dollars stolen out of her savings account with a fraudulent wire transfer last uh well, beginning of this year it took me three months to recover that money from the bank with all sorts of threats and i wouldn't have been able to do that except that i knew mike moore and my mother had both worked for Citibank and gave me some inside tips so the banks aren't really that secure as you can see they're going to then drive you into cryptocurrency and the cbdc by telling you that your money will be more secure that'll be one of the scams one of the schemes on how they push you into using and accepting and adopting uh, uh, central bank digital currency. The other thing is we've heard of the federal government through the FBI and others seizing people's crypto wallets. We've heard of hacks happening. So it's not a hundred percent secure in the way that they tried to tell you it is. 
It says, what is the difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin? Launched in 2015, Ethereum builds on Bitcoin's innovation with some big differences. Both let you use digital money without payment providers or banks, but Ethereum is programmable. So you can also build and deploy decentralized applications on its network. Ethereum being programmable, programmable means that you can build apps that use the blockchain to store data or control what your app can do. This results in a general purpose blockchain that can be programmed to do anything, as there is no limit to what Ethereum can do. It allows for great innovation to happen on the Ethereum network. While Bitcoin is only a payment network, Ethereum is more like a marketplace of financial services, games, social networks, and other apps that respect your privacy and cannot censor you. All right, and so... They've got a little graph up here. It says, what can Ethereum do? Banking for everyone. Not everyone has access to financial services, but all you need to access Ethereum and its lending, borrowing, and savings products is an internet connection. This is one of the scams that the big guys at the high level are using to draw people into CBDC, which it says, not everyone has access to financial services. And I was just watching a John Titus video this afternoon, and they even admit it's something like you know one million people in the united states don't have a bank account and 75 percent of those said that they don't want one they don't want to do business with banks so it's something like two hundred and fifty thousand people supposedly don't have access to financial services and so cbdc central bank digital currency is going to solve that problem for them i was involved with that case back in the city of new haven where the mayor john de stefano was launching a city ID card in New Haven, first in the nation, to give illegal aliens access to uh, services in the city, like a library card, access to the gym, stuff like that. And in the end, it turned out to be a giant banking scandal. The mayor had essentially stolen about $20 million from the taxpayers in the city of New Haven, and he was using that to open up a uh, community development bank. And back then, it was known that illegal aliens... Uh, this is around 2007, 2008, we're carrying around a lot of cash, you know, from landscaper jobs and working in restaurants under the table. And so he was trying to get them to bring their cash to his bank, but they needed an ID to get around the Patriot Act. And so that was the scam he set up. And as the city started to promote this to all the liberals within the city and the surrounding suburbs, they said, we're giving people who don't have access to banks, access to banks. That was one of the big, big branding propaganda methods that they used all right it goes on to say a more private internet you don't need to provide all your personal details to use an ethereum app ethereum is building an economy based on value not surveillance well to be able to take your ethereum money and then transfer that in to wallets. The wallets, you have to give up all your personal information, just as if you're opening a bank account. A peer-to-peer network. Ethereum allows you to move money or make agreements directly with someone else. You don't need to go through intermediary companies. All right, so that's one of the big pitches that they're making here. Of course, when CBDC comes into place, I told you, the central bank is the middleman. Every transaction is tracked. 
goes on to say censorship resistant. No government or company has control over Ethereum. This decentralization makes it nearly impossible for anyone to stop you from receiving payments or using services on Ethereum. Again, folks, if the government doesn't want this operating, they could just shut it down. I mean, don't be so naive to believe that there's a bunch of computers hidden in people's basements and the data is transferring around and the government can't capture that or shut it down altogether. I mean, come on, that's just being naive to say that that is the case when the government itself actually created the internet. It says commerce guarantees. Customers have a secure built-in guarantee that funds will only change hands if you provide what was agreed. Likewise, developers can have certainty that the rules won't change on them. Again, it's like smart contracts, which we'll eventually get into. It says all products are composable. Since all apps are built on the same blockchain with a shared global state, they could build off each other like Legos. This allows for better products and experiences being built all the time. All right. So I think that gives you sort of just a quick understanding of Ethereum. I'm going to give you some Ethereum numbers momentarily, and then we're going to move forward into this discussion on Joseph Lubin and why I'm sitting here talking about Ethereum. This is very important information. Again, I don't know if anyone has covered this before. Uh, I just happened to stumble upon um, this guy, Joseph Lubin, in other research. I mean, obviously, people have covered Ethereum, but I'm going to just go through step-by-step how Ethereum, created by this Buterin guy while he was funded by Peter Thiel, and then his partner in Ethereum, Joseph Lubin, goes on to form this company, Consensus. And now Consensus, you'll see is heavily tied in to the government and writing white papers and everything else on central bank digital currency, while Lubin is tied up in Bank for International Settlements, United Nations, Sustainability, and the World Economic Forum. Folks, it all comes together behind the scenes, and people can just review the financial documents and say, well, this isn't true, but I'm going into the various companies and the various technologies, because that shows me what is actually moving forward. Folks, I'm moving forward into a quick break. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. On pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Right, folks. So in a technocracy, remember... It is the science of social engineering and the systematic control over the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. Well, to be able to have control over the distribution of goods and services, you have to have control over every transaction. And so maybe unlike your debit card or your credit card, where maybe, let's just pretend the big banks aren't sharing your information, 
with each other. In this system, it's all tracked on the blockchain. So what could be written into this ledger could also be tracked by artificial intelligence via whoever is in control of the system. Because, as I said, with CBDC, there will be only one clearinghouse. That will be the central bank. And so certain transactions, I, I look at it like this. Let's say, for instance, you take the medical coding system. I don't know. The last I looked, this is back under Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare. There was like 60,000 medical codes. So when you go into the hospital and you get a suture, you know, you get um, stitches in your knee, there could be 12 different codes. Like it was the top of the knee, the bottom of the knee, the right side of the knee. That's code 126457. And this is how they do all of the medical billing. Well, in this particular case, every product and every service could be coded. Now, if you remember back to the original Technocracy Incorporated documents we were covering here out of 1933, they talked about, I believe this was a 1938 document, the Energy Certificate, they talked about creating a Dewey Decimal-like system, Dewey Decimal system. Okay, for every type of product. So if you have a leather shoe that's brown with three laces and a rubber sole with cleats, you know, that is identified sort of like a UPC code on a product in a store or now with QR codes. Right. So that's what happens is they can tag every service and every product with sort of a Dewey Decimal system. And then based on the artificial intelligence algorithms on any given day for whatever reason, whether it's social score because you uh, were speeding on your scooter down the street or you blew a red light or maybe you used too much energy this month on your electric bill, whatever it may be, you may be penalized. And then you go to the store and you can't buy sugar. They say, well, we know that you're fat. You're not allowed to buy sugar. Or we know you ate too much cheese this month. You're not allowed to buy cheese. See, everything is tracked on this blockchain ledger. And whoever's in charge of it actually has access to all of this information, all of this data, as Yuval Noah Harari has said. Those who control the data are the gods of the new era, right? We know that to be true, folks. All right, let's just look at Ethereum and numbers again. We're still at ethereum.org. Ethereum and numbers, it says 2,970 projects have been built on Ethereum. Uh, 71 million plus accounts or wallets with an ETH balance. So uh, that would be 71 million plus crypto wallets like Coinbase wallet uh, have Ethereum in them or ETH, their token. 50.5 million smart contracts on Ethereum, $11.6 trillion value moved through the Ethereum network in 2021, $3.5 billion creator earnings on Ethereum in 2021, 935,000 number of transactions today. And so this continues to go on, okay? Let's just look at this one other part here. Uh, what can I do with ETH, uh, ETH coins? Okay, these this is Ethereum tokens. Turns out a lot of things. One of the most prominent usages of Ethereum technology is decentralized finance, DeFi, DeFi, that opens entire areas of banking services to anybody with an internet connection. You can use your Ether as a collateral to take out loans or provide liquidity to earn interest 
on your funds. And remember, decentralized finance, DeFi, because we're going to get into that in a little bit. And it says here, who runs Ethereum? Ethereum is not controlled by any one entity. It exists solely through the decentralized participation and cooperation of the community. Ethereum makes use of nodes, a computer with a copy of the Ethereum blockchain data run by volunteers to replace individual server and cloud systems owned by major internet providers and services. These distributed nodes run by individuals and businesses all over the world provide resiliency to the Ethereum network infrastructure. It is therefore much less vulnerable to hacks or shutdowns. Since its launch in 2015, Ethereum has never suffered downtime. There are thousands of individual nodes running Ethereum network. This makes Ethereum one of the most decentralized cryptocurrencies out there, second only to Bitcoin. Now, Remember this, folks. Remember this because I told you, Peter Thiel funds this guy Buterin in 2014. He goes and he's working on Ethereum with a few partners, including Joseph Lubin. All right. This is very important. So Thiel funds Buterin, credited as the founder of Ethereum in 2013. Theo funds him in 2014. He works on this, and they launch in 2015. All right, so Peter Thiel funds the launch of this. Does it sound complicated to you? Yes, it's very complicated. Does it sound like a couple of nerds built this? Uh, I don't believe so, but many, many do. All right, let me just talk about this quickly because it'll come up in the next few shows. What are smart contracts? Smart contracts are simply computer programs living on the Ethereum blockchain. They only execute when triggered by a transaction from a user or another contract. They make Ethereum very flexible in what it can do and distinguish it from other cryptocurrencies. These programs are what we now call decentralized apps or dApps. Have you ever used a product that changed its terms of service or removed a feature you found useful? Once a smart contract is published to Ethereum, it will be online and operational for as long as Ethereum exists. Not even the author can take it down. Since smart contracts are automated, they do not discriminate against any user or are always ready to use. Popular examples of smart contracts are lending apps, decentralized trading exchanges, insurance, insurance, crowdfunding apps, basically anything you can think of. All right. So again, you see how complex this is. And we're supposed to believe between 2013 and 2015 on a $100,000 Theo Fellowship, this guy Buterin in partnership with his other partners put this all together. And now it is basically backing NFTs. I told you non-fungible tokens. It's backing metaverse, second life communities. I mean, all kinds of stuff, folks, all kinds of stuff. And we're supposed to believe... This was just put together in a couple of years, and then it starts growing organically, right? Organically. But remember, Thiel behind Buterin, who created this world. Now, to many of us, including me, this is so complex. I mean, for us to sit around and figure out how to create a business or do something productive with this, you'd have to spend a year, two years of your life just trying to understand this. But... 
they are building it. This is what I'm telling you. This is the technocracy. This is the culture. It's here. It's being built. There isn't money behind this energy, creativity, uh, professionals working on it day in and day out because it's not going to happen. And where is the resistance to this? And even if you and I reject using CBDC, as we already know, through Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Incorporated, really the guy who brought technocracy into the mainstream, as he said, the engineers will just engineer you into using the technology they want you to use. They will socially engineer you by forcing you. If they all wanted us to get 10G phones tomorrow and we didn't want to, they would just make everything under 10G useless and then tell you to go turn in your phone to get a discount on a 10G phone. And then either you'll be without a phone or you'll have to get a 10G phone. And if you say you're going to be without a phone, then you're not going to have access to, let's say, everything that goes digital. So if you want to still do banking, if that exists, and Chase Bank or Wells Fargo or Bank of America, whoever you use, says, well, you have to use our app, well, then all of a sudden you need a phone. So they drive you in. They socially engineer you in by forcing you in. And when they have a control, a monopoly over this entire system, all these different sectors, all these markets, they can easily uh, push you into it. All right, I'm moving away from the ethereum.org website for now. I just want to remind you, we talked about him yesterday up on the screen. I have the Wikipedia article, and this is Joseph Lubin, a Canadian-American entrepreneur. He has co-founded and co uh, he has founded and co-founded several companies, including the Swiss-based F Suisse, contributing heavily to Ethereum, the decentralized cryptocurrency platform. Lubin is founder of Consensus, a Brooklyn-based software production studio. In February 2018, Forbes estimated Lubin's net worth in cryptocurrency to be between one and five billion dollars in early 2014 lubin was a co-founder of ethereum and served as chief operating officer of ethereum switzerland gmbh a company working to extend the capabilities of the type of blockchain technology first popularized by bitcoin and extend the capabilities of the blockchain to store programs in addition to data as well as facilitate verify or enforce the negotiation of performance of smart contracts the new generation of distributed crypto Secure databases with smart contract functionality has been referred to as blockchain 2.0. Lubin was also involved in the creation of the Ethereum Foundation. He subsequently uh, founded Consensus in 2015, which is a decentralized blockchain production studio. It develops software mainly for the Ethereum blockchain system. It also provides decentralized software services to companies. They also do enterprise and government consulting. Lubin has been personally involved in cross-industry groups attempting to advance solutions to governance issues in the blockchain industry. Lubin graduated from Princeton University with a degree in electrical engineering and computer science and worked with Goldman Sachs. Lubin's roommate at Princeton was Michael Novogratz. Now, I covered that yesterday, so I just went through this uh, in a speedy Gonzalez kind of way for you because I'm just laying the foundation as we move forward. But remember, Joseph Lubin was partners with Buterin who was the founder of 
Ethereum in 2013. Peter Thiel steps in in 2014, gives Buterin $100,000 to work on Ethereum. They launch Ethereum in 2015. And then this guy, Joseph Lubin, he goes out and he founds this company, Consensus, which we're about to get into because this is all very important, folks. If we want to figure out where the hell this is going, when it's coming, how it's going to be rolled out, we have to start to look at the players, the technology, the technologists that are behind this we know the purpose that it serves the purpose that it serves is a central bank digital currency that can be tracked that can be monitored and that they can prevent you from buying and selling goods at any time they want ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dust to gold with the dust to gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. You are listening uh, to the Dustin Gold Standard, and I am Dustin Gold. All right, folks, so you have a quick understanding there of uh, Ethereum. Uh, You understand where it came from. You understand that Peter Thiel is behind this. You understand that Joseph Lubin is involved. He goes out to form this company, Consensus. We're going to be getting into this. I want to show you what they're working on. And so right here, let me just show you. Over at BIS.org, that's Bank for International Settlements, I found a video over here. CFI, that's C-E-F-I, so that's Centralized Finance to DeFi, uh, Decentralized Finance. Can global finance be de-reconstructed? All right, and so this features Joseph Lubin in it. So this is from the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Summit 2021. I haven't watched this yet, but we are probably going to review it on the show, along with a couple other videos that I'm going through. This is uh, Central Bank Digital Currencies for Financial Inclusion, Risks and Rewards out of the International Monetary Fund. And then we also have this video, which is the Central Bank Digital Currencies. This is from the World Economic Forum, uh, published a uh, few months ago. So I am in the process of going through these videos here. So we see Joseph Lubin sitting on a panel on Bank for International Settlements. I have him tied into them in several other ways that we'll eventually get into on this show. We're over at UN.org. That's the United Nations. This is Sustainable Development Goals. And we have Joseph Lubin here. It says, a conversation with Joseph Lubin, founder, consensus uh, moderator, Susan Myers, senior vice president, United Nations Foundation. This is blockchain technology is already transforming how the world is working to deliver on global goals. Hear from consensus founder, Ethereum, Joseph, and learn about this emerging technology's role in sustainable development. Okay, so we're going to be reviewing this as well because now we have Joseph Lubin uh, tied into in several different ways, Bank for International Settlements and Wide Awake Jim is going to go through all those documents on the show coming up soon. I'm going to get into his ties into the United Nations 
And then we have, this is at thrillerbitcoin.com. And I have Joseph Lubin tied into uh, World Economic Forum. I'm going to go through some of this right now. Some of this information is important. It says World Economic Forum has invaded the crypto industry. This is written in July 2021. And so they have a picture up here at the screen. Again, this is thrillerbitcoin.com. And this is an annual meeting 2020 here at the World Economic Forum. It was a discussion panel at Davos 2020 on a pandemic weeks before the world shutdown. Also discussed is how to avoid vaccine hesitancy. Coindesk established on Wednesday that it would be working directly with the World Economic Forum at next year's consensus in Austin, Texas. It says, quote, we're excited to see the World Economic Forum's work on crypto come into focus at Consensus 2022, end quote, said Sheila Warren, member of the Executive Committee at the World Economic Forum. Quote, as part of this leading crypto event, we'll be convening sessions around our newly formed crypto impact and sustainability accelerator and addressing how environmental, social, and governance, ESG, you're all familiar with that, principles intersect with crypto and blockchain technology, end quote. Now, why do Wake Jim will also get into ESGs while he's here on the show. All right, this article goes on to say, at first glance, it was obvious the World Economic Forum had successfully penetrated the crypto industry. But how? We took notice of this and reported back in June when we first noticed a clear interest from them, trying to find a direct quote, since when, end quote, to the interest in question becomes an enigma. Hopefully for you, we look thoroughly and 2019 would be the year it all began. And so, there's a video up here from uh, 2019, where is blockchain headed? Uh, it says, however, if you are searching for when did the World Economic Forum elite get properly shitcoined, then Davos 2020 is something that should be worth your while, especially because throughout Davos 2020, cryptocurrency was first deeply and seriously discussed, and secondly, Coindesk covered it. All right. And so what they're going through is this timeline where they're saying that World Economic Forum got their hands into um, into cryptocurrency. So they're showing Coindesk uh, that reports on crypto news. Uh, they're reporting at uh, Davos in 2020. Then they also have this Crypto Mountain Rocks Davos. This is decentralized finance uh tokenization stable coins dlt what to expect in 2020 and this says ethereum co-founder and consensus chief joe lubin headlined crypto mountain rocks at hotel morasani uh in davos 2020 so you have joseph lubin tied into world economic forum there's many ties to that as well so what they're going through in this article here is World Economic Forum as they're trying to paint this brush that World Economic Forum has been hijacking cryptocurrency. I say that's not true. The cryptocurrency has always been part of the technocracy. Uh, I mean, by its very nature, it's a digital coin. It is technocracy. Uh, the closest to actually trading between two people without having any interference is bartering. I hand you sausage, you hand me jug of wine. That's pretty much it. Well, this all runs digitally uh, through the internet. So I, I never believed that this was free and clear of the government. I always believed the state was actually behind this. And now that we're starting to see the unveiling of the central banks and the governments behind this stuff, people are saying, oh, they hijacked it. No, folks, it was 
that was the whole purpose. They were building the infrastructure all along. This comes out of the government. It's the same thing. Think about all these politicians that we support time and time again. Trump was my last one, folks. And I've got my Trump pen here right now. There we go. Uh, Trump was my last one that I would support. But how many times are we going to get fooled into backing some guy who's imperfect and we're willing to push those imperfections aside because we want the things that they promise us that align with our values? Okay. And then when they turn out to be the traitor that it was very apparent they could be based on their history, their track record, things they've said, we then call them a traitor. Well, they're not a traitor. They are exactly what they were. We just decided to put our blinders on or to uh, forgive them for these horrible things that they did. Well, they turn out to be the Trojan horse that they were all along. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. You know, Trump goes out there, he still promotes the vaccine. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's not a traitor. He is what he is. And so it's the same thing with this. I don't believe cryptocurrency launched as a system designed to fight the system, the central bank system. I believe it was launched for the purpose of looking like it was fighting the government and the central banks, when in fact, it was really just being test piloted and it was building this 10-year, 12-year adoption campaign to the point now where a lot of people know about it, it's in the lexicon, and now all of a sudden the government will lift the veil on the fact that it has control of it. So that's what they're going through here. This timeline, if you're interested in this, it's at thrillerbitcoin.com. You could look this up, and it'll show you all the places where um, the World Economic Forum has gotten its hands into crypto. And again, I just believe this was the case all along. But let, let's take a look here because it talks a little bit about uh, Joseph Lubin in here. It says the World Economic Forum had established a global council on cryptocurrencies, staring some of the worst shit coiners of our industry in history. Already, some of these faces start looking familiar. And shit coiners is a term that that these guys use for basically these uh, crappy uh, crypto tokens. I won't get into that here. You can look it up. Just look up shitcoin. Uh, partially because of their net worth, but primarily because of their scandals. Brad Garlinghouse, a premier crypto scam. Ripple, Kathleen Brightman, part of one of the biggest crypto scams in history. Tezos, Danielle Dixon of nonprofit organization Stellar. Galia Bonarzi of the hacked banker token. And we could carry on. And quite frankly, this next one has to be a joke because it's quote so decentralized according to the bankless bros and quote marvin amori of uniswap now it's clearly understandable why the sec securities and exchange commission hasn't bothered to contact the creator of uniswap hayden adams all the pieces come together and suddenly everything makes sense adams is protected by the world economic forum in a world where civilians scream for civil liberties and countries shed blood when fighting for human rights these people sit at the forefront of the decentralized technology and can quite literally strike society for the better but instead they use it for their own lucrative objective which is personal gain this council is the definition of nazi capitalism and so now they have this world economic forum bio on joseph lubin it says this is joseph lubin yes the co-founder of ethereum and ceo of consensus to prove he has benefited the most from his connections with the world economic forum apart from his great parties 
In August 2020, his company Consensus acquired the Quorum platform from J.P. Morgan. Besides Consensus's acquisition of Quorum, J.P. Morgan made a vital investment in Consensus to support its shitcoin mission to launch a more powerful financial infrastructure. That turned out magically because it was so bad for Consensus in 2018 during the bear market. Consensus had to let go of 13% of its staff at the time. Apparently, these were all good moves, and Joe Lou eyes since he never has to worry about making cash ever again all thanks to the world economic forum alliance he has formed since davos 2020 and so this goes on uh, to show an article here consensus raises 65 million dollars to accelerate convergence of traditional and decentralized finance okay so what does this all mean it appears to be that the world economic forum has a great amount of control over ethereum and other shit coins in the crypto space consequently any chance of real decentralization is little to zero little to zero and i will always make the claim that there is no decentralization it is just about centralization all these little apps and all these little ledgers and all these little smart contracts that people think are decentralized are all being tracked it's all part of a digital system if i write a contract right here on my typewriter uh, for you to mow my lawn i give it to you and sign that is a contract between me and you no one knows about it it was typed on a typewriter only i have a copy and you have a copy and anyone we share it with well if we do that online folks Give me a break. It's tracked. It's stored. It's not protected. It goes on to say, but let's be transparent. It was already an illusion. It all has to do with the fact that all projects, regardless of marketing or what your favorite crypto YouTuber says, everything is a centralized shitcoin with centralized investors and uh, pre-mines. At least we Bitcoiners know this, and we can constantly fighting this internally in our industry. The real problem is mom and dad, and maybe our friends or neighbors that have virtually no idea of what's going on, how they'll get played when these CBDCs roll out. The World Economic Forum will explicitly tell you what they are up to, going as far as to tell you which phase we are in. This is how they, quote, advise, and quote, banking and capital markets. See the example below. And so they have some graphs and charts here, folks. But this is really important stuff, really important. And I'm going to go through this whole article uh, on the next episode. But this was a great piece I found because it's explaining the scam. The scam that is this so-called decentralized cryptocurrency, which is really just going to be run by the central banks. Now, the World Economic Forum plays a part in forming the public and private partnerships. I told you many times they are basically the chamber of commerce of the public-private partnerships. But at the end of the day, Bank for International Settlements will be behind this along with the central banks. Folks, when I get back more on this, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Payne.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold welcome back pain.tv slash gold you are listening to the dusting gold standard podcast and right now we are just we are just skimming skimming 
the top layer of central bank digital currency. You know what? Let me finish up. Let me go through the rest of this article because it's important here. So what they do is they've got an article up on the screen. Again, this is thrillerbitcoin.com. It says, needed creative, uh, creative equity solutions. For many businesses, getting to the other side of this pandemic will require more than credit. In the United States so far this year, 45 businesses each with over $1 billion in liabilities have already gone bankrupt. That number could double by the end of the year. In the small and medium-sized business sector, 50% of companies now consider themselves under severe financial strain. And millions have indicated they may have shut their doors for good. To help these struggling businesses, the banking and capital markets industry will need to find creative, versatile solutions in the equity phase. These solutions will need to smooth the transition from phase two to three and benefit a large segment of struggling entities from large companies and developed nations and smaller businesses in emerging markets. So they have a chart here. COVID-19 triggers a record wave of U.S. corporate bankruptcies and cumulative count of U.S. companies with $1 billion or more in liabilities filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Okay. And so they show the numbers here, 2002, 2009, 2020. And then they ask the question in the article. Still, you might ask, why is that important? It says, fundamentally, because Augustine Karstens from the Bank for International Settlements, Christine Lagarde, ECB, Yi Gang, People's Bank of China, Jerome Powell, Federal Reserve Board of Governors, Francois Villeroy de Galou, Bank de France, NGFS, and other central banks around the world have already agreed to use Ethereum and other shitcoins as the base layer for their CBDCs. Pilot programs are being run now. It says at the Paris, quote, One Planet Summit, end quote, in December 2017, eight central banks and supervisors established the network of central banks and supervisors for greeting the financial system, better known as ESG. Since then, the membership of the network has grown exponentially across the five continents. And what else has grown since then? Yes, the entire ESG tale in the finance industry. If you'd like to read more about how this started, we encourage you to check out our coverage of the Green Swan Conference. No one in our industry covered this, by the way. The Bank of France, International Monetary Fund, Bank for International Settlements, and Network for Greening the Financial System joined forces to co-sponsor this bizarre global virtual conference on how in practice can the financial sector take immediate action against climate change-related risks. Wondering the why of their immediate action? Because it's a direction for the World Economic Forum. And so then they have a page here from the World Economic Forum that says strategic direction uh, setting and then the operational oversight and alignment. And so this goes into exactly what they're talking about here, folks. All right, it says, as a society, we're living through the most profound alteration in history, reminiscent of the American Revolution. And the problem with living through an authoritarian takeover is the lack of possibilities to take the long view of how it will play out. And this is very important to understand this. I have said it before, I believe on this show, maybe on the Thomas Paine podcast, that Klaus Schwab, look at Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Hari and these guys we talk about as the new founding fathers. They are the founding fathers fathers of what will be the full-blown prison planet metaverse matrix system that we're living in technocracy has already been taken um, has already taken over everything it is our culture now they are putting the pieces into place and i think the eventual goal in my opinion 
from a political standpoint is that they want to remove the illusion of all of the partner countries of having their respective governments like a representative government here or a parliamentary system in poland or in the uk they want to lift that veil and basically tell us that we're living under an authoritarian system. We are living under a technocracy. They want to be able to announce it and just say, we are living under a technocracy, folks. All right, over here at usa.visa.com. All right, so now you've got Joseph Lubin tied into Bank for International Settlements. You have him tied into the United Nations Sustainability Goals. You have him tied into the World Economic Forum. You have the World Economic Forum, obviously, holding a bunch of panel discussions on central bank digital currency as well as international uh international monetary fund all these big players are in this it is real folks it is real right so this guy joseph lubin instrumental in this he is sitting over there as the head of consensus comes out as co-founder of ethereum which is funded by peter thiel through the original founder, this guy Buterin, right? So you see all the pieces, how they fit together, folks. So over here at Visa's website, it says, Envisioning a Future of Central Bank Digital Currencies. This was written in January 2022, and it says right here, Visa partners with Consensus to help bridge CBDC networks with existing payment rails. Okay, so this is Visa partnering with this guy Joseph Lubin's company. I'm not going to read all this, but I'm going to kind of breeze through some of this so you have an understanding. Again, the point of this is to show you if you don't want to believe that this is coming, it's coming. And so hopefully it'll pique your interest. We'll be able to dissect this between what I'm able to research, analyze, and understand and explain to you. And then with Wide Awake Jim, who looks at this from another angle, and then with the information that he researches from Catherine Austin Fitz and John Titus, and maybe I can get them on the show. So we'll be able to kind of break this all apart and figure out when it's coming so that we can maybe come up with ways to move our money around and try to beat this before it's too late i mean before they do the big rug pull it says as central banks around the world dig deeper into central bank digital currency questions on adoption and usability are top of mind once you've built the technology to power cbdc how do you help make sure people can manage and spend their funds through a familiar trusted and seamless experience on day one again this is at visa's website that's where visa can help harnessing our network of network capabilities designed to bridge new cbdc networks with the existing financial ecosystem visa is partnering with consensus a blockchain technology company to develop new infrastructure that can help central banks and traditional financial institutions come together and build simple user-friendly services on top of cbdc networks we sat down with Catherine Gu, Visa's head of CBDC, and Shaley Adenolfi, director of strategic sales at Consensus, to learn more about the Visa CBDC payments module and how the two companies are supporting the role out of new forms of digital money. Supporting the rollout, I apologize, of new forms of digital money. It says the majority of central banks are reportedly exploring CBDC. What makes this technology so intriguing? All right. And so this Catherine Gu of Visa and the uh, Shaley Adenolfi of Consensus sit down and have a conversation. Let me just go through these questions. I'm not going to read the answers right now, but it says the majority of central banks are reportedly exploring CBDC. What makes this technology so intriguing? 
The next question, what are the primary challenges central banks will face in launching CBDC? The next is, so how can central bank tackle the adoption challenge and motivate people and businesses to use CBDC? What does Visa's CBDC payments module do? How does it address this challenge? It says, so for a customer, what might a CBDC experience built on top of Visa's module look like? Then you have Visa and Consensus were selected as one of three winning entities at the Global CBDC Challenge hosted at this year's Singapore FinTech Fest. What did you learn from the challenge and what do you think set your entry apart? It says, what's next for Visa's CBDC payments module? So these are the questions discussed right here on Visa's website. So why don't we just take a look quickly at some of these answers. Let's go to the first question. The majority of central banks are reportedly exploring CBDC. What makes this technology so intriguing? So Catherine Gu of Visa says... If successful, CBDC could expand access to financial services and make government disbursements more efficient, targeted, and secure. That's an attractive proposition for policymakers. Okay, so do you understand what she just said there? Expand access to financial services. There's no one looking for access to financial services that doesn't already have it, number one. That's the same thing as Elon Musk telling you he's going to put a brain chip in somebody's head to cure their paralysis. All right, it's a feel-good story designed to tug at one's heartstrings. Here's the real piece. Make government disbursements more efficient, targeted, and secure. Because the first place they're going to do this, folks, is with uh, welfare. They're going to do it with Medicare payments. They're going to do it with Medicaid. They're going to do it with food stamps. They're going to do it with Social Security. So that takes up a large chunk of the population. And if they tell you, like, let's say, you could no longer get a paper check to get a Social Security uh, payment, you're going to have to open a bank account. Well, guess what happened? People just did it. People like my father wanted a check. They told him, no, we do direct deposit. Guess what? He gets direct deposit. That's how they engineer you into it. So eventually it will be you're getting CBDC. And then people will either not get CBDC or they'll get it if they comply. It says take stimulus payments, a task requiring immense resources and coordination. With CBDC, a central authority could send fast payments to a targeted set of users and program specific spending parameters. What did I just tell you? What did I just tell you? You're not going to be free to transact between anyone you want because they're going to program specific spending parameters. Well, when we went through Ethereum, what did I tell you? It's all programmable. The smart contracts are programmable. Everything in it is programmable. The whole supply chain from point A to point Z is programmable. So the governments will decide what you can buy and when you could buy it. That is technocracy. That is the systematic control, the means of production, and the distribution of goods and services. And you will accept it because technocracy is the science of social engineering. They're going to engineer you into this system. Goes on to say residents of a particular community facing economic hardship could receive immediate government assistance directly in their digital wallets, usable for buying groceries or other necessities at merchants accepting digital payments. No waiting for a check in the mail and for those funds to be cleared in your account. That's just one potential use case. There are many more that have yet to be imagined oh let's imagine our new future 
So Shaley, at an Alfie of consensus, owned by Joseph Lubin, co-founder of Ethereum, funded by Peter Thiel, says, we're just scratching the surface of what CBDC will mean in the long term. The prospects for financial accessibility are exciting. Approximately two-thirds of the world's unbanked individuals own a mobile phone. Unbanked. That's a key word. They used that back in the city of New Haven in 2007, 2008 when I fought them. Unbanked, again, it's like saying someone has Alzheimer's. We're going to cure the Alzheimer's. We're going to cure the unbanked. And they're going to just drive you into the system. It's not about helping people that are unbanked. It's about taking the people who don't want to bank uh, out of the system. So if you figured out a way to not use a bank and to not have Venmo and not have Cash App and not have Stripe or Square or any of these other payment processors to run your business or run your life, they're going to force you into the system, just like they'll make it impossible for you to operate without a smartphone. They will engineer you into the system. That's how it works. It's about me and you, the people trying to escape. So would we need to go buy a John Deere tractor to plow our field? And the guy who owns the store won't take a sack of potatoes. We're going to have to be in the CBDC system because that's the only way he's going to be allowed to accept currency. She goes on to say, because digital currencies can be distributed via mobile devices and physical cards, they can reach people in remote areas with limited access to banks and physical cash, right? So there's people in remote areas with limited access to banks and physical cash, but they have a smartphone and they'll have internet powered by Elon Musk Starlink is basically what they're saying. And in Poland right now, they've been pushing the idea of the implantable uh, chip the size of uh, a piece of rice, a grain of rice, into your hand that actually becomes your payment method, telling people that you won't lose your credit card or be hacked this way. Now, that's for real, folks. Poland, they're pushing it. They even, I mean, it could be fake, but they say 47% of people say they want it. And they're doing that for $200, embedding this chip inside your hand between your index finger and your thumb. Oh, this is all very real, folks. It's here. This is the matrix. That's why we're explaining it. And if we want to live one foot in and one foot out of this matrix system, we have to understand what the rules of the system actually are. And that's why we're here reverse engineering the engineering that's being engineered by the engineers. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to engineer myself out to a quick break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. Or listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are dissecting the technologists behind the build-out of the CBDC infrastructure. Again, I'm trying to take this from a little bit different angle than other folks out there. I know Wide Awake Jim's going to come on. He's going to take this from the angle of the Bank for International Settlements. I'm taking this from the angle of the technologists that are actually building out the technology, the infrastructure, and architecting this system. 
So you heard right there from Catherine Goo, this uh, Visa representative here in this article, this interview on Visa.com. And she says right there, right there with CBDC, a central bank authority could send fast payments to a targeted set of users and program specific spending parameters. That's it. Program specific spending parameters. Just like with your uh, food stamp card or whatever, if you have one, you're only allowed to buy certain things with it or with your WIC payments. I don't even know how those work anymore. It's all digital as far as I know. But I remember when I was a kid, 15 years old, so that would be, what, 26 years ago, working in a grocery store, a little mom and pop grocery store. And people would come in with a WIC check. They could only use it for a certain kind of milk and things like that. So now it'll all be programmable. Well, if it's programmable for one, it's programmable for all, folks. All right, we're going to continue with this because I want to show you uh, with this partnership here with Visa and Consensus how important this is before I get over to uh, a discussion that Joseph Lubin had on decentralized finance. We're going to get into that uh, as I work my way into consensus and I break down their website and eventually work my way to their white paper on central bank digital currency. But I want to show you the partnerships and the projects they're already doing for the government, literally supplying blockchain technology for the supply chains to track goods, all kinds of stuff, folks. Now, this is full-blown technocracy build-out. Howard Scott, Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Incorporated, would be proud, folks, because it's finally all coming to fruition, and it's happening at warp speed. And it was being built way before COVID land the high school theater production, but that allowed them to accelerate a lot of this stuff because they were able to unveil it as solutions to the problem and as reactions to the problem as an answer to the reaction they provoked out of us which is always help us and they go oh this is how we're going to do it so we're going to work our way through this and then there's several videos over the next couple of episodes we're going to be analyzing from the world economic forum international monetary fund uh world economic forum bank for international settlements we're going to go through a lot of this stuff folks all right next question what are the primary challenges central banks will face in launching cbdc and so Catherine Gu says at a foundational level central banks need to think about building stability resilience and security into their cbdc ecosystem the g7 principles for example provide a starting point for addressing those core policy issues central banks also need to be thinking about the end user and how to integrate cbdc with existing systems and infrastructure these are challenges that would be very costly and technically challenging for central banks to address on their own to best tackle we believe that public private partnerships and a strong focus on the end user experience will be vital right this is how you end up getting people to adopt the technology faster and of course it's always the public private partnership but as i told you the private part of that partnership is it's just an extension of the public and the public is the state so what she really means is to best tackle we believe the state <laughs> that's it the state all right it goes on here shaley added off the answers yes it's likely that a quote two-tier system end quote involving both central banks and traditional financial players is what will emerge 
In our work with central banks, we've seen strong interest in conceiving expertise and support from the private sector. They are interested in piloting concrete use cases that will significantly benefit the efficiency and resources required to transfer assets and reconcile accounts. All right. So as you can see here, what's happening is the so-called private sector still wants to be involved in that supply chain of the movement of money, of the movement of money across these various transactions. All right. So remember, this Shaley Adenolfi, she's speaking on behalf of Consensus, owned by Joseph Lubin, co-founder of Ethereum, backed by Peter Thiel. Goes on. So how can central banks tackle the adoption challenge and motivate people and businesses to use CBDC. So Catherine Gu of Visa says, we think it's important for central banks to think about CBDC as a product. Consumers want to manage and spend their money with a seamless, intuitive, and familiar experience. Whether that's tapping to pay, splitting the bill with a click, or having account management tools at your fingertips via a mobile banking app, right? Perceive convenience, folks. As I've told you before, we consistently sell out our own freedom, our personal liberty, and our human autonomy for perceived convenience. So the way they get this to work is they have to make everything else miserable to then drive you into the perceived convenience solution. So they will cyber hack everybody's bank account, tell you that nothing is uh, protected, and the only way to protect yourself is CBDC, right? They will tell you it's really cool. You could just wave your magic hand, rice grain uh, in your hand across a, a thing, and boom, the money will come out. They'll, they'll have different ways designed for different sort of personalized choose-your-own-adventure echo chamber loops that people are involved with, and that's how they'll do it. It goes on to say, how do you meet the, those users? centric digital first expectations with cbdc in our view it's important that cbdc can be easily accepted everywhere by businesses and retailers from day one through connecting to the existing payment infrastructure this will also help pave the future for developers fintechs and financial institutions with deep product development expertise to build on top of cbdc networks right so the central bank will control the actual movement of the digital currency the mining or the printing or the minting uh, or of this digital currency. And then you'll have all these so-called private sector partners, these extensions of the state that will provide all the various payment gateways and utilize the existing infrastructure to make this all happen. That way they don't have to rebuild an entirely new system. And if you don't believe that over the last 10, 15, 20 years, they haven't been building this system, you're crazy. This system has always been in mind. It goes on to say, what does Visa CBDC payments module do? How does it address this challenge? So Catherine Goose says visa's cbdc payments module is designed to provide an on-ramp for cbdc to existing payment networks so that cbdc networks can easily connect to traditional financial providers for banks and issuers processors 
they'll be able to plug into the module and integrate their existing infrastructure and be enabled to do things like issue CBDC link payment cards or wallet credentials for consumers to use. We're in the process of integrating our module with the Consensus Codify CBDC sandbox powered by Consensus Quora so that our platform can be ready to tap into enterprise blockchain technology. And that's Consensus Quora. Remember, we went over, they uh, purchased, Consensus purchased Quora from J.P. Morgan Chase. The representative from uh, Consensus says that's right. Consensus Quorum is an open source version of the Ethereum protocol that's optimized for enterprise applications. It can enable a two-tier CBD system for central banks to issue and distribute CBDC. Quorum's robust open source protocol layer ensures compatibility with private, permissioned, and Ethereum mainnet networks, as well as familiar products and tooling in the Ethereum ecosystem. Central banks and banks are keen to explore Quorum through our CBDC sandbox due to the increasing adoption of Ethereum uh, mainnet and layer 2s shared common standards and interoperability between private and public networks again so they're basically creating this system at consensus that's going to allow both the public and private sectors to plug into the system and it's all riding on top of central bank digital currency and this whole system is going to be powered by the ethereum protocol all right this is why i said it's very important now as far as I can see, Peter Thiel, 2014, gives money to Buterin to work on Ethereum. 2015, they launch Ethereum. And then Joseph Lubin splits off from Ethereum, goes out, forms consensus. And now consensus is backed by at least a half a billion dollars from people like Microsoft, SoftBank, and others. And they're in there in partnerships with governments and central banks already writing all the white papers on how to actually create this whole CBDC infrastructure. It goes on to say, so for a consumer, what might a CBDC experience built on top of Visa's module look like? So Catherine Gu of Visa says, we envision a user experience that looks very familiar to how you pay today. If CBDC networks are uh, seamlessly integrated into your existing banking app, you'd be able to use your CBDC-linked Visa card at the checkout or tap your digital wallet loaded with your cbdc funds and payment credential to pay securely at any of the 80 million merchant locations worldwide that accept visa and any of its connected networks all through existing retailers existing payment terminal it's a familiar experience for people around the world so think about it like this in the beginning, like I mentioned earlier, they will still allow cash in the form of paper money and uh, coins to be in circulation. But the first rollout of CBDC uh, at a high level. Now, if you take Bitcoin and some of these other coins, there are certain online retailers, there are certain websites, uh, video platforms that accept donations in cryptocurrency forms. There are certain stores where you can actually purchase cryptocurrency on the ATM machines and people accept cryptocurrency. So that was the beginning of testing all this stuff out under the guise that cryptocurrency was not connected to the government and you weren't going to have to uh, give up information 
information to the government. Okay, so they already started to test out this infrastructure over the last 10 years, right? So now you have a situation where, let's say you're collecting Social Security, and let's say, I don't know, your check is $1,200 a month. So now what they'll do is they're going to, instead of putting 1200 USD into your Chase bank account via direct deposit, you will have 1200 whatever they're going to be, US CBDC, United States Central Bank Digital Currency, put into your US crypto wallet or your Coinbase wallet, whatever it may be. Let's say Uncle Sam crypto wallet. So now on your phone, it says you have 1200 CBDC tokens. Uh, or carbon credits, however they're going to do this. But that's it. It's digital, right? And so what they want you to be able to do is walk around with, say, your Visa debit card, which is connected to your CBDC wallet. Not unheard of, folks, because I have a Coinbase account with very little in it, but I have a Coinbase account. I got a Coinbase. I think it's a Visa card. So I could technically go into a store and make a purchase, and then it converts the CBDC, I'm sorry, whatever cryptocurrency I have, I'm not exactly sure how it works because I haven't used it, but it converts it to USD and then withdraws that from your account. So they're saying we're already in 80 million merchant locations. That's what Visa is saying. So let us connect Visa up to the CBDC wallet and then people will be using CBDC, but you don't have to force them into some new dystopian looking system because all they have to do is connect their Visa card to their CBDC wallet and now they can go in the grocery store and purchase food with their social security cbdc in the same way they're already doing it that's how you force adoption without getting people to actually change their habits so for instance let me just give you a prime example something i mention every day here i always say join pain.tv slash gold uh access a like-minded group of individuals using a facebook like app and mobile application uh, or a facebook like website and mobile application well when mike moore put that system together and i had actually showed him some stuff last january on how to do it we decided to go with a framework that looks like facebook because to get people yourself included and me and marie albanese and others to use a little private social media platform to share information with each other and talk about the shows and have them have to learn a whole new system it's a pain in the butt well build it off a framework that looks very similar to facebook and people will more easily adapt it and use it because they don't have to learn a whole new system. That's what they're saying here. Don't make people have to go out of their way to use CBDC. Let them use it through the ways they're already used to. Let them connect CBDC up to their Apple Pay so they can tap their iPhone on the register at the store and it pays for their groceries. So that's what you're going to see happen. That's what Visa's working on here with consensus. When I get back, we're going to finish up breaking down this little interview. I'm going to show you some more stuff on Joseph Lubin because tomorrow we're going to start dissecting this consensus website i'm going to show you all the projects case studies and white papers that these guys have already put together the point of this folks is if there's anyone out there who's telling you this is not coming folks it is in the works it's already here they're just connecting the systems together and it will be rolled out wide awake jim says five to ten years 
I don't know about that. I mean, five to 10 years goes by pretty fast in the world we live in. We're almost three years into COVID land, the high school theater production, believe it or not. So five to 10 years is not that long. But I say this needs to be done uh, by 2030. So I'm guessing they're going to be testing in the next year or two uh, at a level that you will probably start to come into contact with, whether you're getting Social Security or you have uh, Medicare you're managing. I think they're going to move all these systems over to that basically you're just going to be forced into it you're not going to have a choice if it's the only choice you have no choice and therefore you were socially engineered into the system i'll be right back here on this system the dustin gold standard on pain.tv slash gold my name is dustin gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold and you are listening to my show, folks. Yes, you are. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's continue with this. Again, we're at USA.Visa.com. It's an interview with a representative from Consensus and a representative from Visa. This question, Visa and Consensus were selected as one of three winning entries at the Global CBDC Challenge hosted at this year's Singapore FinTech Fest. What did you learn from the challenge and what do you think set your entry apart? And so Catherine Gu of Visa says, it was a great honor to participate in the challenge alongside Consensus and to be selected by the panel of judges, which included many of the leading thinkers and central bankers in this space. It was an important milestone for us to share our vision on how we can support central banks and the private sector to drive early adoption of CBDC and democratize the usage and utility of CBDC for everyone everywhere by making it expedient ubiquitous and familiar you see that folks all those wonderful tag words in there so she loves to support the central bankers uh visas there like kissing the butt of the central bankers oh please let us be part of the infrastructure let us be part of helping the adoption see drive the early adoption of cbdc something i always talk to you about and they talk about it openly they do they don't hide it they talk about adoption campaigns and they want to democratize the usage that means force everyone into it it goes on to say uh this is the representative here at nolfi from consensus blockchain enables the development of new asset classes from nfts that's non-fungible tokens excuse me folks i had the hiccups for a second that's non-fungible tokens to stable coins and cbdc we could eventually get into more on nfts and stable coins uh, until recently end users had to use new technology such as metamask to receive store and use those assets enabling end users to access those new assets through the tools and user experience they already comfortable with such as cards might really help accelerate adoption and this is all part of what i explained to you 
is the metaverse, folks. Okay, I've explained this to you uh, in detail and shows. The eventual metaverse and this combining under this force industrial revolution of the physical, digital, and biological worlds is that you will have basically one username and one login. Think of it in terms of accessing a website now, like pain.tv slash gold. You will have one username and one login across the entire internet. Everything will work in sync. You will have your digital twin, which is you inside of this mega metaverse, this digital world, this matrix. And that will also be connected to your physical self out here in the real world, the prison planet matrix. And so this is the same thing. Everything will be connected to each other. Visa will be connected to your MasterCard, will be connected to your uh, car insurance, will be connected to your uh, CBDC wallets. It'll all be connected. All right. It says blockchain enables the development of new asset classes from NFTs to stable coins and CBDC. Again, until recently, end users had to use new technologies such as MetaMask to receive, store, and use those assets, enabling end users to access those assets through the tools and user experience they already comfortable with, such as cards, might really help accelerate adoption. I wanted to repeat that for you again because it's about making it convenient so it accelerates the adoption. All right, once they have buy-in from over 50% of the people, they can just force the rest into it. So let's say you own an online shop, or let's say you're a consultant, or let's say you still own a brick-and-mortar store. God bless you if you do. Well, if all of a sudden people are coming to your website wanting to use CBDC, or people are coming to your store wanting to use CBDC, or people come to your food truck, or your clients want to pay you in CBDC, you are going to have to accept it, or you're not going to get any money. Therefore, someone like me or you that's resisting the system will then have to join the system in order to accept the money. I did not want to use Venmo and Cash App and Google Wallet and Apple Pay and all this nonsense years ago. But in the corporate entertainment industry I was in, I had comedians who worked for me that wanted to be paid via Venmo. And I would say, listen, I just go online uh, on my, I think I was with Chase then. I fill out a thing and they're going to mail you a bank check. That's how I issue all my checks. I don't want a check. I accept Venmo. I want to be paid right now. Or back in the day, it was PayPal. I want to be paid right now. Oh, I don't do that. All right, well, I'm not going to do the job for you. So all of a sudden, if that comedian wasn't going to do the job, I wasn't going to make my $500, $600 commission, whatever it may be, for booking them. So guess what? Dustin got Venmo. See, I got forced into the system. I was socially engineered into the system. That's how this works. It says, what's next for Visa's CBDC payments module? And Catherine Gu of Visa says, we're excited to enter the next phase, piloting and prototyping actual use cases, which we expect to start doing later this spring. At that point, our consultants and product experts in our global crypto advisory practice and digital currency innovation hub will be ready to work with central banks, financial institutions, and fintechs to integrate and configure the CBDC payments module for their technology stacks. It's a natural extension of our commitment to support new forms of money movement, and we're eager to get this important work 
underway. Now, you don't actually believe that a company like Visa, who is tied into the government anyway, is going out there and building this and has departments called the Global Crypto Advisory Practice and the Digital Currency Innovation Hub and showing up at competitions with this company Consensus, owned by Joseph Lubin, who was partnered with this guy Buterin, who was funded by Peter Thiel to develop Ethereum. You don't think all this is going on if it's actually not going to happen, do you? Let's just click on this for a second. I'm going to go over here on usa.visa.com. I just clicked on the... Um, the global, uh, let's see, it says Visa introduces a crypto advisory services to help partners navigate a new era of money movement. And this is from December 2021. The case for crypto is getting stronger for financial institutions. New global research finds nearly 40% of crypto owners would be likely to switch primary banks to one that offers crypto products. All right, so this is sort of a press release. We're not going to go through it, but I'm just showing you. It's real here. That's the global crypto advisory practice. Now, let's click on the digital currency innovation hub. And right here, this is a whole site set up by Visa. This is usa.visa.com slash solution slash crypto slash digital dash currency dash innovation dash hub dot html. And right here, it says introducing the digital currency innovation hub, navigating crypto. Just got a bit more simple. It goes through this. Crypto is complex. We're here to help. Key benefits for our clients. Learn about crypto. Consult with our experts. Co-create the future. It says Visa Digital Currency Crash Course, who we are. It's got all these people on the team. Oh, yeah, this is like a whole section of their website now dedicated to pushing this uh, digital currency innovation hub. Yeah, folks, I mean, this is real. This is real. A lot of links inside this uh, interview, by the way. And we'll eventually go through this in more detail. When I get back, let me just show you a little bit about what Joseph Lubin has been up to and set the stage for what I'm going to dissect and analyze over the next couple of shows as we build up to another appearance by Wide Awake Jim, who's going to show us exactly what's coming out of the bank for international settlements. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. The Gold Standard sounds pretty good right about now, does it not? But welcome back. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold, folks. I know, what, I should be selling gold. What the hell am I doing? Oh, over at Gold Capital, where I buy all of my gold. No, I don't know if I could ever do that. I should. I mean, I, I might. My grandfather, actually, my father was just on the show, Lewis Gold. Lewis William Gold, actually. My name is Dustin William Gold, and then that's why we named our son William. But Lewis William Gold had a father, Lewis William Gold, who was in the gold business. My father will come back on and tell that story. But he used to sell uh, 
Krugerrands, which basically had no numismatic value, and he would sell it to doctors, dentists, a lot of people back in the day that had a lot of cash. We're talking back in the uh, 50s, 60s, and so they would want to trade that in for gold and keep it in a safe, and so that's what he did. So he was actually in the gold business. My grandfather used to tell people to own physical gold all the time. I just don't like to push investments because uh, I'll feel bad if people you know, lose money. But but I don't know. I mean, some of this is important. I like what uh, Wide Awake Jim is doing, uh, the investments he's involved with, with oil and gas royalties. And oil is liquid gold. So that would fit my brand as well, ladies and gentlemen. So liquid gold, maybe I could do physical gold. All right, let, let's just jump into this. But just always keep in mind here, as we're talking about this, if you want to run a full-blown technocracy based on the original definitions of technocracy coming out of the uh, early 1920s into the 1930s, they have to have total control of the monetary system, which they called energy certificates back in the original blueprints of the technocracy, defining the technocracy, laying out the technocracy, or the governance of the technate, which was this big North American content uh, continent underneath the technocracy. They talked about energy certificates, and then we have carbon credits, and then we'll have carbon credit-based CBDC, and this is how you're going to control everyone and control their spending habits and their purchasing power because you can program the money you're sending them to not be able to buy certain things or to turn off at certain times. I'm telling you, this is how it works. (coughs) Excuse me, folks. You just saw that in the documents, that that's how this works. All right? This is very, 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 very control-based. So they can send you your Social Security in the form of CBDC, but it's programmed to only be able to purchase certain things from certain places. And if you abuse that, they can then program it in real time uh, based on algorithms to stop you from purchasing certain things. All right, this is an article I found here, folks. Let me get a uh, sip of water real quick uh, because I drank some tea. And a uh, tea leaf got stuck in my throat. All right. This is forecast.news. That's F-O-R-K-A-S-T dot news. And this is an article from March 2021. It says, what's in DeFi's future? Remember, we went over that. D-E-F-I, DeFi's future. And what does it mean for traditional banks? Will DeFi replace centralized finance? So DeFi is decentralized finance. Will decentralized finance replace centralized finance? And how might regulators respond? An all-star panel with leaders from the SEC, Security Exchange Commission, WEF, that's World Economic Forum, Consensus, and USDC, that's uh, U.S. Digital Currency, explains. And this is important, folks, because it's all a fraud. Like, decentralized finance is not replacing centralized finance. Decentralized is code for centralized. What they're saying is that the system they currently have is actually not centralized enough. Because if you still have access to cash and you go spend cash, like you take $50 
an actual printed bill, a $50 bill, and you go buy drugs on a street corner, short of you being picked up by traffic cams or an Amazon ring or your cell phone, your smartphone is tracking you, uh, spying on you, listening to you, which they could do. They don't really know what you're doing with that cash, right? So even though it's centralized you know, through the Federal Reserve, it's not really. There could be all kinds of things going on that they don't want to happen. Well, once they go to the so-called DeFi, decentralized finance, it's fully centralized because everything is tracked through a ledger controlled by the central bank, all being run through artificial intelligence algorithms in real time. It goes on to say, what is the future of decentralized finance, DeFi, the hottest blockchain trend of last year, and what does it mean for traditional banking in the world of centralized finance? A panel of industry experts tried to answer that question this week at a global summit organized by the Bank for International Settlements, right? Like, the Bank for International Settlements is interested in decentralizing the monetary system. It goes on to say, DeFi and its underlying blockchain technology are bringing a paradigm shift in how we structure our systems globally, said Joseph Lubin, chief executive officer and founder of Consensus, a New York-based blockchain software technology company. Quote, DeFi is building the early stages of a more seamless global financial infrastructure, end quote, said Lubin, who was part of a panel discussion on, quote, CFI to DeFi. Can global finance be de-reconstructed? Uh, end quote, at the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Summit 2021 held this week. Quote, the current one is very siloed with nation states linked by essentially correspondent banking relationships, end quote, said Lubin, who is also a co-founder of Ethereum. Quote, our planet is increasingly in need of systems shared across nation states on which companies in those nation states and the nation states themselves can transact and trust that their rule systems that mediate those transactions will be honored, will be automatically applied, end quote. Again, see, they're talking about total control over this monetary system. It goes on to say, society was evolving from being natively analog to natively digital now what is why do I Jim tell you folks all the time go analog what do I tell you get rid of the smart tech in your house and go analog I told you about the little baby swing that Maria Albanese bought us that's analog you plug it in it's got the old school MIDI piano while the baby's rocking but it doesn't hook up to the smartphone it doesn't hook up to Wi-Fi you know to the internet it's not beaming uh, information back and forth from the cloud about when my child farts, you know. No, it's analog. So he's saying society is evolving from being natively analog to natively digital, quote, where elements like money, financial instruments, identity, art, and governance are realized entirely in software, end quote, Lubin said, adding that digitization would lead to standardization and automated compliance and tokenization, as well as remove the frictions of current processes. Isationization, isation. I feel like I'm reading a Dr. Seuss book here. Goes on to say DeFi applications offering financial services directly to individuals are on the rise. Unlike in traditional finance, which requires intermediaries like banks, DeFi transactions are governed by smart contracts without the need for intermediaries. 
decentralized finance protocols for a wide variety of financial services, such as lending, borrowing, yield on savings accounts, asset issuance, trading, and insurance are already being built. The applications also could be permissionlessly combined with, quote, Lego and, quote, blocks, or what is called composability enabling more capable systems to be created rapidly. Now, that's what I was just talking to you guys about earlier, why I wanted to go through the Ethereum website so you have an understanding of some of this lingo that they're using. Another panelist, David Puth, Chief Executive Officer of Center, the company behind USD Coin, USDC, sees the convergence of decentralized and centralized finance as inevitable. Quote, as DeFi continues to evolve from this very early stage, it will be impossible for the centralized finance world to ignore the incredible potential, end quote, Puth said. Center's USDC, a stablecoin pegged to the U.S. dollar, is the world's second largest stablecoin by market capitalization. The vast majority of DeFi protocols and stablecoins operate on Ethereum. Hear that? The vast majority of DeFi protocols and stablecoins operate on Ethereum. This is why Ethereum is very powerful, why I'm talking about them. And the total value locked in DeFi protocols has surpassed uh, $39 billion as of publishing time. And then there's this related article, which we'll go into maybe on the next episode. Will DeFi upend traditional finance and democratize capitalism? It says opportunities abound, but there are risks. The opportunities in DeFi are tremendous, but they come with risks. Quote, there's risk of losing principle, technology breaking down. People unwittingly doing things in the DeFi space that can't be undone, and then no recourse for the party, end quote, Puth said. Quote, as an industry, we need to work together, and work together with regulatory bodies, end quote. Again, they build the problem, and then they want to become the people who govern the governing bodies that oversee the technologies that create the problems that they are creating. I've talked about this before with Elon Musk. Let me build AI. It's going to destroy the world. But if I'm in charge and I can govern it, I'll make sure that the technology I'm building to destroy the world won't actually destroy the world if I'm in charge of it. As long as I can govern the governing body that governs the technology that I am building. Goes on to say another panelist, Hester Pierce, a commissioner on the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, said that DeFi, quote, could help the resilience of the financial markets by moving away from centralized potential points of failure to a more distributed approach that means that no one particular point is particularly important, end quote. Quote, a lot of what's happening DeFi is really outside of what the SEC's purview is, because a lot of it has to do with more banking-like functions than I would say securities-like functions, end quote, Pierce said. Quote, at this point, as regulators, we're watching what's going on, and I think any kind of wholesale shift in the financial system will take quite a long time, end quote. Quote, to the extent that people are building things that are intended to mimic securities or doing things related to asset management, 
that would fall within our purview. And so I encourage people to be thinking about potential securities implications, end quote, Pierce said. You see, so now this is a regulator talking about how they have to get in in the game to be able to regulate this. All right, so you have Visa stepping up to the central bankers, begging for their ability to be part of this infrastructure. You've got consensus trying to build the infrastructure to connect the central bankers to the consumers that are going to use the product. And you have all the regulators saying, well, we can step in and regulate. It goes on to say, if you set up some sort of decentralized exchange or automated market maker that is trading securities, among other things, then you've to think about what the implications are. Now, that possesses all kinds of interesting challenges for us as a regulator because we're used to dealing with a centralized counterparty, end quote, Pierce added. See, this is why it might take a little while, okay? Because you have all these different parties that are used to doing things in certain ways. And then you have the new reign of technologists, this new generation of these tech nerds coming in that want to combine all these systems. The central bankers want this to happen because they want total control. But you have to create buy-in from all the different elements. It's all these different crime families operating that all have to end up agreeing to work together in certain ways so they all get their little piece of the action. You know, I was talking with Jim, Wide Awake Jim, earlier today on text message, and we were talking about this, just like with the climate graph, the climate hustle that he explained. They create an entirely fake industry built on lies, but then they create buy-in from millions of people that make money off the griff within that system, right? And then everyone who relies on those people to bring home a paycheck are now part of the system. They are part of the grift. Whether they believe it or not or understand it doesn't matter. The same thing is happening here with the CBDC. They're going to create this digital token out of thin air, but there's all these different players from government workers to so-called private sector contractors to technologists to the central bankers to the commercial bankers and everyone else. They want a piece of the action. So it's not really about whether or not they can build the technology and the infrastructure. It's how they're going to create this buy-in from all the different players. Forcing the adoption campaign onto us is going to be easy. They're just going to socially engineer you into it. Right now, they're aligning all the different players, all the different team members. They're building the team, and they're making sure that everyone along the way, just like in a mafia operation, are going to get their cut of the action. They're going to get their VIG, and this way, they'll all get on board with letting this go forward. That's the stage they're at right now. That's what I see with what I've been reviewing. And so when we get back tomorrow in episode 98, I'm going to continue breaking down this article, and then we're going to move into the uh, central bank CBDC tracker that I found where you can track what's going on in different countries. And then we're going to work into the consensus website. And I'm going to show you a lot of these projects, uh, white papers, case studies that consensus is already developing for a number of governments. And then we're going to go through their white paper on central bank digital currency. And this way, we'll have a solid understanding of where this is at from the technology side of things. So this way, when we talk to Jim about what's going on inside the Bank for International Settlements, we'll be able to combine our research and start to figure out for you guys in the audience what is actually going on and when we think this stuff is going to be rolled out.
and start to talk about solutions on how you can begin to insulate yourself, maybe move around some of your assets before it gets trapped in this central bank digital currency scam. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me on Sunday evening. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.